This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We're here with Wharton Professor Howard Kunruther, who will talk about the implications of the earthquake in Nepal and the lessons it holds for other countries around the world. Welcome, Professor. Good to be with you, Deborah. Well, to first of all, tell me, what lessons do you think the United States and other countries can learn from what happened in Nepal and how they can better prepare for disasters? Well, first, let me just say a word about Nepal, if I could, in the sense that this is an uh, unbelievably devastating earthquake for the country. And they are trying to recover, and we will have to. We can get into that a little later on. But I did want to at least acknowledge the fact that they really are a country that has some challenges and are going to try to meet them. But in the context of the lessons for other countries, I think that what happened in Nepal is something that happens everywhere in the world. If something doesn't happen for a long period of time, it isn't going to happen to me. Is is basically how people feel. And Nepal had a very serious earthquake 80 years ago, and it was it did devastate the country. And in the process, of course, people were a little bit more reluctant to think about the fact that an earthquake could actually occur in the future. And that is certainly true here in the United States as well. People do not take preparations for uh, disasters until after they happen. And the countries that have actually learned from earthquakes may do a bit better, and Chile being one example. Of that. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me more about the extraordinary steps that Chile took in order to prepare for disasters? Well, Chile is a country that has had a number of earthquakes, and we were very fortunate, my colleagues Mike Yusim and Erwin Michel Kajan and myself, to have had access to a number of the top leaders in Chile, including uh, former President Piñera, to really look at essentially how they had recovered from uh, the 19, the 2010 earthquake that was a very serious one. And the reason that they were successful with respect to recovering from that earthquake is that they had two features that I think are very important. One is that they had a past history of a number of earthquakes and they had learned from them. And as a result of that, they had taken steps, including well-enforced building codes, people purchasing earthquake insurance to protect themselves. And the second is that they had leadership in the context of the new president who came in, actually was sworn in two weeks after the earthquake. And his leadership actually was enormously important. And our book called Leadership Dispatches really highlights that point. So how do you compare what happened in Chile to how the U.S. government handled uh, Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Sandy, for example? Well, Hurricane uh, Katrina was a real challenge, as I think we know. There were levees that were really poorly designed, uh, and as a result, there was an enormous amount of damage, and there were real challenges in the recovery process, and as a result, not only were a number of people killed as a result of that, but it took quite a while for the, and it's still in the process of actually restoring uh, uh, elements of the city uh, because of that damage. 
Are there certain states, like such as California, that actually do an extraordinary job of disaster preparedness? California does a remarkable job of, uh, of preparedness for earthquakes because they've had a number of earthquakes, and they've learned from those earthquakes. And as a result, there is a lot of measures in place that will, I think, reduce the damage. Although I will say that very few people today, only 10 percent of the California residents have earthquake insurance. So there's going to be an interesting question as to what's going to happen if we do have a severe earthquake in terms of their own recovery. So from that vantage point, preparation on the part of the residents is, is relatively uh, ineffective at the moment. When it comes to less developed nations, there's always the struggle to prioritize funding for immediate needs versus funding for uh, future uh, disasters. So what can a, uh, a developing country do to make sure they're uh, prepared for disasters, but at the same time, they fund ongoing needs of the country. Right. Well, let's talk about Nepal as an example of that, since they went through this very horrendous uh, earthquake. Nepal actually did take some steps uh, in the sense that many of the newer buildings were really enforced, uh, were built according to building codes that were enforced. And to my knowledge, and of course we'll find that out in, in, in the next week or so, most of them did not suffer as a, a large amount of damage. Uh, and as a result of that, I think you can, the, the city is at least, Kathmandu and the area was better prepared on the newer construction. The challenge with the country like Nepal, as we've all heard and, and read about, uh, is that they have so many old buildings. And a city like Bhaktapur, outside of Kathmandu, which historic treasures, was really badly damaged, and Kathmandu itself was damaged. I, I should indicate uh, I've learned a great deal about Nepal because my daughter, Laura Kunruther, uh, is an anthropologist who has studied Nepal and is obviously, I've been there a few times for that reason, and uh, I'm tremendously impressed with the Nepali and their ability to sort of deal with the situation. But we have discussed this since the earthquake, and I think the general challenge that the country has is the leadership side. And we'll have to wait and see how the government is going to have to deal with these issues because, in a sense, you do need leadership. Uh, that's what Chile had. It's harder for a developing country. Haiti had enormous challenges after uh, their earthquake. Uh, Nepal is in far better shape in that sense than Haiti was, where over 100,000 people were killed. Uh, the death toll is 5,000. That's a large number, but really uh, pales compared to what happened in Haiti. So I think we'll have to wait and see whether the government is going to be in a position to be able to take advantage of the situation. We do learn from catastrophes. And there are the silver lining is you can do things better after a catastrophe than you can before. And let me give you one example in the United States just to highlight that. Uh, before Hurricane Andrew that occurred in 1992, so a few years back now, uh, one-third of the buildings were built that did not satisfy building codes, uh, that the, and they would have been saved had they met the codes. And Florida was really not enforcing these codes. There was a wake-up call for Florida after Hurricane Andrew. And today they have the best building codes in the country, or one of the best. So they learn from the disaster. And the hope is that the developing countries can also learn. And we're all hoping that Nepal can come out of this with a better understanding of how they're going to have to deal with disasters. In your opinion, what are some of the biggest mistakes 
that developed nations make when it comes to disaster preparedness? Well, I think the biggest mistakes, and I wouldn't even call them mistakes, I think it's more in the context of constraints, as you alluded. They don't have a lot of resources. So it's hard to all of a sudden say, we are going to build everything so sturdy that will be prevented from another disaster. That's why the fact that new buildings in Nepal were built according to, uh, to code is a testimony to the fact that the country is doing that. Haiti, for example, did not have any building codes at all, and a lot of the destruction occurred because of that. So it's the lack of the resources and the constraints that really are a challenge. And I think that's why, in some sense, uh, you do need organizations like the World Bank uh, to help out in, in situations like that, to maybe try to support uh, these situations. From the vantage point of individuals, they have a very similar problem. There are so many other things on their mind that it's very uh, that are immediate needs, that it's very, very hard for them to devote time and resources to try to even think, let alone deal with what they could do for a disaster. What about for developed nations? What are some of their biggest mistakes? Well, I think the biggest mistakes that, uh, that we face in, in our country is what I alluded to earlier, the feeling that somehow it isn't going to happen to me, and as a result, I don't have to worry about this, and that the costs associated with actually taking steps now are too high for us to put the resources in. And this is an issue that we have, all of us have been thinking very, very uh, uh, closely and deeply about in, in, the, in the Wharton Risk Center. How do you begin to develop essentially strategies that are long-term, that essentially are long-term in nature, but that satisfy the short-run needs? And so I think there are ways to begin to think about the, that and the develop, hopefully the U.S. will try to adopt some of these, which is begin to think about long-term loans for example, as a way of really spreading the upfront costs over a number of years. Think about affordability issues and how you're going to deal with affordability in a way that will encourage essentially development in areas, but at the same time recognize that you have to be careful in terms of what you do, and you have to make sure that you take care of people who can't afford a very high insurance premium if there's a high premium that reflects risk, and you have to help them out. But don't do it with an insurance premium. Try to find other ways like means-tested vouchers or some other mechanism that helps the low-income people. Because otherwise, I think we're going to be in real, real difficulty with respect to implementing some of these strategies that we all believe are desirable. What regulatory changes do you recommend that the U.S. government take to make these remedies? Well, I think building codes being one example, certainly not only with respect to earthquakes, but with respect to floods and other disasters, making sure that buildings are well designed, that they are well enforced. Land use regulations are important with respect to that. And I'll tell you one regulation that we have been thinking a great deal about is related to insurance. And there is a general feeling that you need to subsidize premiums to help the low-income people, as I alluded to. And one of the things that could be done and we feel is important, let the insurance premium reflect the risk so that people know what they have to pay for to cover their risk. And they also get rewarded if it turns out that they take steps to reduce the risk, they get a lower premium. So the premiums reflecting risk becomes important, but then you have to feel, figure out what you're going to do with the low income and the people who can't afford it or who need special treatment. That sounds logical, but what is impeding these changes on the regulatory side? Well, I think what's impeding it is we are all, uh, you know, p people 
are thinking purely about the short run in many of their decisions. We have a little expression that we've used, and since you're asking this question, I will use it here, uh, Nimtoff behavior, which is true of probably all of us, but certainly true of politicians. Any idea? <laughs> Can you explain? Not in my term of office, if I can avoid that. And so thinking very short run makes it very, very hard to deal with some of these long-term issues unless you can figure out a way to get rewards in the short run. And then I think in the United States, uh, certainly we have a certain degree of polarization in terms of different views on how to deal with this. And that makes it very hard to get anything passed, as we are aware of. And hopefully that will change over the next couple of years. And we'll just have to wait and see. Thank you, Professor. Good to be with you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.